Hey everyone, you're listening to What's the Point, a podcast where we talk about all things in the life and ministry of Waypoint Church. I'm joined once again by Lawrence, Danny, and Erica as, as we jump into part two of our conversation here, uh, navigating, talking about theological differences. And so uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear, the, the there's, this is part two, so there is a part one. You can go back and listen to that on wherever you, wherever you listen to podcasts. But before we jump back into this conversation, I want to start. If you could go back and change your major, what would you change it to and why? And maybe even start out like, what what was your major? Because I don't I don't even know what your major was, Lawrence. I was actually an English major because I was always planning on going into uh, ministry or law. Those were like, like the two choices, and I thought what was easiest for me to do that. Okay. <laughs> um, if I could go back and change it, I thought business finance for a little while because I, I really love that stuff. But um, I, now that I think about it, I wish I chose like a completely random, obscure major that I was just really interested in, like archaeology. Or really, yeah, under, underwater basketball. Yeah, surprisingly, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like I already know. Like, there's a lot of stuff in business that's kind of intuitive and it's just experiential. So I thought about choosing like business finance or something, but really, no, something really fun and interesting that I just want to know about. You know, UNC has a, a peace, war, and defense major. I figure like that that could be your entry route into like ninja. You know, well, first of all, if I knew about that, yeah, yeah that would have been it's my like major then. Top notch program or game theory. Come on, that's wow. the stuff that I want to do. <laughs> Yeah, well, what about, what about you guys? So I was also an English major, and I can't believe I didn't know that about you until just yeah, I now. I never knew that. I know. I never knew that. Wow. Do we not ever talk about this? I can't believe that yeah. this never came up. But um, so we. I knew because I ask people too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I inquire about everything about everybody. So. Yeah, and we had to pick a concentration as an English major, like technical writing or some other. And I did creative writing. Um, and I would go back and do that again, but I would get my master's right away. I would probably get a master's in fine arts and writing and like try to pursue that or go to seminary or something like that. But, um, but looking back, I'm glad I didn't because I went to East Asia and I never would have, you know, started dating Danny and our kids wouldn't exist and all the other things that God put into place. So, yeah. Resource management, business administration, human resource management. Yeah, so I got to that major because I started off going to college wanting to be a chiropractor, and that's mainly because my best friend hurt his back, and he was going to the chiropractor, and his chiropractor, you, you have to interview people, like that kind of like career thing, and I was like, wow, this guy works like three and a half days a week, makes big bucks, easier than medical school, and helps people, and I thought it was fascinating, like, you know, how chiropractors work, so I thought, oh, that would be cool, so I was in pre-med and took organic chemistry and the pre-med class my sophomore year. And the medical advisor was like, you're not cut out for this. My grade in organic chemistry and the fact that I had gag reflex and I found out that anatomy and physiology and all these other classes. So if I could go back, I probably would keep human resource management. I really like that major. I probably would have just have dropped all the chemistries and biologies that I took my freshman and sophomore year and taken something, done a little bit more uh, liberal arts, maybe a liberal arts minor, because when I got to seminary, I did not write anything. So I was really, really behind um, in writing. So yeah, I would probably stick with the same major. I really, I really enjoyed it and uh, use it to this day, but I would have, I would have liked to add a little more liberal arts, uh, maybe some, something in that, that side of the spectrum. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I, I came out of high school pretty convinced that chemistry was not for me, so I didn't even I didn't even dabble with it. I didn't even go near it. Um, but I, I kind of debated between a couple of different things. Well, really, two two different majors in particular. I I, I ended up majoring in psychology, 
uh, I think if I if I went back, uh, I would have I would have done something different. I think I would have tried to do journalism. Um, I had interest in it coming out of high school. I think uh, I was kind of debating back and forth between journalism and, and psychology. But uh, I mean, and and like you're saying, Erica, it's, it's kind of interesting to even ponder the what ifs. Like, what if I had done this? What what would be different, or how how would my life be different? So you wouldn't have met Sarah yeah. walking down that from that this one class. I'm just kidding. I'm still pretty confident I would have met Sarah. It still, it still would have been in the same place, but uh, in terms of career, I don't, I don't know how that, how that fleshes itself out. But anyway, um, I like writing, and so I feel like that would have, that would have lent itself. Maybe, maybe I'd be a better writer. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'd be trying to figure out even a career. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not thinking about it in those terms. But anyway, uh, yeah. So that's really, really interesting. Uh, just, we, we had a, a technical difficulty there, but in, in, in the meantime, as we we're trying to fix it, uh, Lawrence was mentioning that. He, uh, he, his was lit, which uh, his, uh, means means different things to different generations. But according to uh, our our uh, elderly folk, elderly folk here, lit yeah, means the Gen Xers think lit just means literature. Yeah, so literature. So that was that was Lawrence's focus, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, uh, Lawrence so was learning, lit. Learning new things about you guys, though. We're I mean, so I knew old. I knew the HR stuff, but in English. But Lawrence, I, I did not know what you majored in. Um, yeah, had me fooled. Especially since I've heard so many times you talk about like you're debating between ninja and lawyer and all that all that stuff. Well, so I made that decision before I went up to college. So right. I was going to be a, you know either a ninja or a lawyer or a minister. So yeah, I can see you really enjoying like the mythology classes stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, jumping back in here. So in part one of this conversation, we we spent a lot of time trying to just give a paradigm for doing theology, and so thinking in terms of, of doctrines that are essential versus non-essential, or or kind of giving this framework of what's first tier issues versus second tier versus third tier, and and kind of fleshing those things out. And and, and one reason for this is to argue for for nuance in biblical interpretation. Right, especially when it comes to matters of life that the Bible is not as explicit about. How do we how do we answer some of those questions, especially in our modern day? And 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 what are the biblical explanations? How do we approach the Bible and, and try to uh, use the Bible as a lens for understanding all of life? But what happens if you go too far in the direction of my interpretation is the biblical interpretation, or I'm the premier authority on everything the Bible teaches? And we kind of said, you know, well that. There's there's things to parse through in that. There's things to and and even having that posture. I mean, generally you don't you don't meet people who are most people don't feel that way about themselves. But just just kind of navigating. What what happens if uh, if if you know one danger danger of that is what if I actually add on to scripture what's not actually there? And I think that that was something that we really tried to to push into. So that's that's one potential pitfall. But but these kinds of conversations always have challenges in in multiple directions. And so. If the if the one challenge is the, is the quote unquote expert who's who's kind of rigid in, in their interpretations, another is a drift towards subjectivity. So you say you have your interpretation of the Bible and I have my interpretation. Can we really say one is better than the other? You know, when I was in in seminary, I I was actually I was working at Chick Fil A at the time, and during my break, I was doing schoolwork studying hermeneutics, which uh, naturally lends itself as somebody comes around, and they're like, "What are you doing?" saying, I'm studying hermeneutics, it lends itself to somebody asking, well, what's hermeneutics? And it's just, hermeneutics is just a fancy word for the study of biblical interpretation. And the, one, of the, one of these, like, mainstay guys who, who'd come to, to our store uh, pretty often was eavesdropping on our conversation, he's, and he, he uh, decides to ask, well, how can you be graded on something that's so subjective? 
I mean, can you really be graded on biblical interpretation? Like, it's so subjective, right? And so I wanted to, to throw that question to you guys. Is, is understanding the Bible a subjective task, or is there something objective that actually roots us? Yeah, and Eric, I'm really glad you asked this, and uh, we really enjoyed the last podcast, part one, but I think one of the dangers of doing a podcast like that is people walking away are hearing that everything in the Bible is subjective and that there's just no right or wrong. It's just you come to it and kind of come to your own conclusions. And I hope through our podcast that didn't, you realize that isn't what we were saying, that there are subjective parts to living out the Christian faith, but the Bible is a book of objective truths. It's clear from Genesis to Revelation, there are objective truths about God, about who he is, about humanity and our sinfulness and who we are and our relationship with God and our relationship with others and how to, there, there are multiple, I mean, just series of objective truths throughout the scripture. The way they're presented uh, and the way we flesh them out in the Christian community is where you get like some of the subjectivity. So I, I think that for me personally, um, I've realized that, yeah, like you, you come to it knowing that the Bible teaches truths and there are countless truths in the scripture, but it's subjective when we just are, you know, the parts of it that are subjective are when we're living it out in community. And, and one example, just, just to give one, is, is divorce. I think I'm just going straight for it. Like divorce in the Bible, I, I believe it's, God is very clear on human sexuality. He's very clear on marriage. These are objective truths that you can f- find in Scripture. But when, if you make an objective decision about divorce, if you just say you meet someone, they walk in the doors of your church, and they're divorced, and you say, oh, you can't be a leader, and you can't be this, and you can't be that, you, you know, you're, without knowing the situation, why are they divorced? What happened? then that's where it's subjective where you've got to know the person, know the situation, know what the previous church context was, what they did in community, what was asked of them. So you can't just come in and say, you know, there's an objective. The objective truth is God's standard for human sexuality and for marriage. But when it lives it out in a community, you need to know the circumstance and really begin to say, what does it mean to be in this community as where we know the objective truth and then we live it out and say, okay, this is a real person with real and sin has crept in. We're all broken. How do do we allow this person to continue to be part of the Christian community? And what does he or she need to do in light of this reality? You know, I believe knowing scripture, there's so much of it that is objective, but it's often those objective things that you can also see fleshed out based on culture and context subjectively. You know, one example of this is that one of the characteristics of God that's objective in the Bible, it's clearly stated in the Bible, is that God is love. God is a God of love. And so that's objective. That's in the Bible. That's the way to interpret the scripture. God wants to communicate this objective truth, that he's a God of love. But what that looks like in our context, in our culture, in our time, because a God is a God who transcends all of those things, it could look different. Subjectively, you could look at the way he acts, maybe in an act of discipline, and say, that doesn't look like love to me. So that could be subjective. What does love look like to different people in different cultures? For example, if I know my son, I know I love my son. People can say they, lo- they know that objectively Lawrence loves his son, or Lawrence at least thinks he loves his son. But my son or other people can look at the way I love him and be like, that doesn't seem like love. 
You know, if I have to discipline him, or if I have to rebuke him, or if I don't give him what he wants all the time. There are things that you can look at and be like, that's not really what love is. But in reality, objectively in my heart, I can know that I do love him. It might not be a perfect form in my, in, my, in my instance. And so I think there's so many ways of interpretation that there's objective truth to glean from the Bible that looks and fleshes out could look differently based on culture and context. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, as, as, we, as the Bible crosses cultures and cr- even personality types and even a lot of our denominations in America are based on kind of things you like or things you don't like. And, and I think so sometimes when we come to the text, we're like, okay, this is the truth. But we're, we think we act like we're arguing over the, the objective truth. But really, we're, we're arguing over ministry philosophy or how to apply the objective truth in our daily life. Should I do this or should I do that? So we, we're, but we're, like we talked about last week, we're making maybe tier two or tier three issues in our particular context, a tier one issue. So we're, what we're saying is the objective truth is really the subjective way to flesh it out in the community. And like we mentioned last week, and I, I know I keep hitting on this, but it's, it's cause it's in the scripture. The scripture is filled with paradox. So the objective truth in the Bible is often in the paradox. Like, God is love, God is just. Jesus is has come, and he's coming again, and we live in the in-between. So if you get hung up, if you try to create an objective truth that doesn't acknowledge the paradox, then sometimes people are like, well, then it's just becoming subjective. And I, and I think that as we dig deep into the body of Christ, as we look at church history, we have the objective truth we need. We we can come to the scriptures and know who God is and know who Jesus is and know who the Holy Spirit is and know how to live it out and flesh it out in community, but it's it's going to be hard. And if the Bible itself is written in a kind of a fleshing it out way, look at the Psalms. At the beginning of the Psalms, he's crying out to God. He's asking God questions. He's struggling. He's like, God, why are you doing it this way? Why are you withholding your favor? If you look at the New Testament letters, there's, you know, a balance of Paul saying, you know, here's one way to live in Galatians, and here's another way of thinking about the same thing in in one of his other letters, Ephesians or Colossians, because the Bible is written so that we can live out these objective truths in Christian community, but it's, that's where the tension is. That's where when we see the scriptural ambiguity and we're like, there has to be an objective truth. If the scripture does create two separate ideas that both teach us on the same principle, then the truth is in the fact that we're getting the same principle taught in two different ways. So that's where we get the answer. Oftentimes when they ask Jesus for an objective truth, he tells them a story or a parable. Like, you want to know what the kingdom of God's like? It's like a mustard seed. Where's the objective truth in that? Now, there's a, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God a lot. So you can't say the kingdom of God is just one of the ways that Jesus describes it. You have to say it's all the different ways that Jesus describes it in all the different contexts that the people engage him in. And so, so I think, you know, as, as we're talking about this idea of uh, having some kind of objective understanding of, of what, the, like, what the Bible is saying, and, and what, some of what I hear you guys saying is that, the, for one, the Bible is, is doing something. The, the Bible is trying to communicate something specific and clear to us 
Um, and we even talk about this idea, the, the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture, that it's just a fancy word of saying, like, there, there is clarity in what Scripture teaches unto salvation. Now, I think that, I think that there is, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it is, it is so clear that anyone can understand it, and yet it is so complicated that even the most brilliant mind can mine the, the depths and just go deeper and deeper and deeper and never, never reach the bottom of the well. And, and so, but, but the, the Bible can never, when it comes to biblical interpretation too, we talk about this idea of like the author's original intent. The, the Bible cannot mean something that the original author didn't intend to say. You can't go beyond that. And so there, there is a, a kind of rootedness in that of you have the, the author's original intent. You have that they're, they're writing to a specific audience at a specific time. They're, uh, depending on what the, the passage is or what, what the text is, what the letter is or what the book is, it has a clear purpose, uh, a clear goal. And maybe it's addressing something in particular like some of Paul's writings or maybe maybe it's trying to tell some story that, that's rooting us to the, the larger story of what God is doing. That the, the biblical authors had a gen, had an agenda and, and things that they are trying to accomplish and, and to a certain group of people or with certain uh, purposes and goals to, to communicate something larger about what God who God is and what He's doing and how we we are coming into that that we we come into that reality and so what I hear you guys saying too is that uh, one of the one of the challenges even in that is that. First, in, when you're doing biblical interpretation, going going back to that to that context, trying to understand, okay, what is the context of what's being written here? What what did the author originally intend to say? Who is he writing to? All, all these different things, and then doing the work of, okay, you go back in, into that space. Now, how do I bring it into my own day and time, and how do I flesh that out? And that that's some of the spaces where you you start to see some of these complications, but but it's it's not that. Uh, and, and, and like you're saying, there is, so there is objectivity, there is subjectivity in terms of how, how this is uh, fleshing itself out and, and some of the nuances of, of everyday life. Um, but, there, but there is this objective reality of what, who God is, what he's doing, and how he, Jesus even says that he, he is, it's all about him. And, he's, and how we start to see more clearly over the course of uh, the biblical storyline of who exactly is Jesus and what has he come to do and how is this bringing about redemption and reconciliation for all of humanity? So for, for those of you guys out there, I mean, what we're trying to do is just help you begin to see the Scripture for how the Bible presents itself. Like, the Bible presents itself as a steal from the Bible Project, a unified story pointing us to mm-hmm. Jesus. And even in the edits, like Eric talked about the author's original intent. Well, each psalm was written with an original intent and then we know that uh chronicler like the chronicler the guy probably the guy who wrote chronicles and a lot of scribes and others collected the psalms and put them in strategic categories they the psalms are written in groups proverbs is is strategically put together so that not only are you learning from the original psalm or the original proverb but you're also learning in the way that it's it's put together mm-hmm. and even the way the the wisdom literature is put together and even the way that the Septuagint, I mean, I'm sorry, not the Septuagint, the the Pentateuch in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation, which is what Paul accepted. They changed it from the Hebrew Bible to give those people, the Jewish people at the time, and the Christians adopted that Bible too, to give them a, a framework 
to how they see the edits in the Old Testament. So they were looking at these. They were like, this is the wisdom literature. This is the prophetic literature from Isaiah and Ezekiel. And in getting those categories, it wasn't even just Isaiah's original intent. It was also in the edits and the compiling all these scrolls together as one word of God, as what we call the Old Testament, you know, compiling it together so that the readers who were hearing it, or the hearers uh, were hearing it in the synagogues or hearing it in the temple, would get to know God and get to know who he is in the way that it's not only what it says, but also in how it's presented. And I, I think that that's, that's why we're saying that the objective truth is there, but the Bible is, is us trying to say, okay, we, how do we take this truth and flesh it out in everyday life? And sometimes that's not going to be one size fits all, all cultures, all times, all people, all circumstances. And so, so it's important for us to, to, I think, establish our conversation here today with, with this because we, we're, we're, we're leading into uh, more questions of, okay, what about, what about when you do have these doubts? Or when, when uh, maybe as we kind of ended in, in our previous conversation where uh, what happens when you, you kind of made these second-tier issues or third-tier issues into first-tier issues? And, 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 and what this lends into our conversation today is more of this topic of deconstruction. And so I just want to start by just, just defining terms. What, what is deconstruction? I would just say it's when, in the modern context, last five, ten years, it's just someone kind of kind of breaking down their belief system that they grew up with and basically saying they're mostly breaking it down many times without rebuilding it. Uh, my generation thought of it more as unpacking. You would say, I'm unpacking my childhood. Uh, that was a, a big word. A lot of, especially my dad, my parents' generation, they, the like fathers, like my grandfather's generation didn't really share much with their kids or, you know, so mm. a lot of people in my dad's generation would go to these promise keepers and these men's conferences and they would talk about unpacking your childhood, unpacking what, how you viewed God, unpacking how you viewed these other things. So I would say that all of this, this is something that's happened throughout history. Most people do this between about age 17 and 33 is you just start realizing that everything that you were taught was part of this faith tradition, but also sometimes some of the subjective things that should have been subjective became objective, and you're just trying to figure out what is true. What is true of my faith? What is true of who I am? And sometimes deconstruction is just about faith. Sometimes it's a full, I don't like my major. I, I want to start a whole new career. I I don't like this. I don't like the part of the country I live. I don't like the people I hang out with. I want to do something. I'm a different person. So it's it's a complicated word, but I also think that if you start to study the Bible seriously, you're going to come across some things that are disturbing or or troubling or um, you think, well, no one ever showed me this or taught me this, and so I think it's a natural reaction to kind of, um, yeah, rethink a lot of like, well, what, what was I taught? And I think some of that can be, most of that actually can be really healthy. Like um, if you don't stop short there, that, you know, that you keep going and, and questioning, talking to others. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. I think um, sometimes though, like Danny was saying, people might think they're deconstructing 
their faith, but really it might be their culture that they have mm-hmm. a, a stronger problem with and church culture that they grew up in. I feel like deconstruction has become such a kind of a bad buzzword mm-hmm. right now in the church. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh no, my children are deconstructing or whatever it may be. And mm-hmm. it makes you sound like everything we built up, they're t- tearing it down. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, one, I think we built up some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, cultural mm-hmm. Christians in America have built up some bad stuff that we do need to tear down a little and bit. And every generation has blind spots. That's right. Every mm-hmm. generation is reacting to the generation before, trying to correct some things and correct the blind spots from the previous generation by creating new blind spots. Yeah. And in my mind, it's good. We need to sometimes break down to look at what are our blind spots and then what foundations have we been built on? You know, so many of us have built our foundations of this is just what I've told, so I memorize it. Um, do I really understand it or believe it? And it is, a, is it an actual objective biblical truth? That's right. Or is it just a cultural norm that my society liked? Right. I mean, when you did the Proverbs thing, the Proverbs sermon, Lawrence, you threw out some things from Ben Franklin That's and right. some things from the Bible. <laughs> and the average American no thinks that most of the Ben Franklin Proverbs from the original Farmer's Almanac are <laughs> from, Proverbs, from the Bible. And the Lord so, helps those who help themselves. <laughs> yeah, if you looked at the religious books that were on the New York Times bestseller list over the past 30 years, you could easily identify themes that probably got taken too far right. within the exactly church right. that became first-tier issues. Yeah, the number one book in all of America in the 1970s. All of America was a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. It sold more copies than any other book. And it was about pre-trib, uh, pre-millennialism version of interpretation of Revelation, which we'll actually talk about in a future broadcast, so you'll get to hear. But that, that, so it, it, that became, now no one talks about that. By the 80s, it was the prayer of Jabez, or, yeah. you know, 90s, and purpose-driven life. Chicken soup cra- for the soul. Crazy the soul love. Thing. Yeah, so. The five love languages. Which the five love languages is still standing <laughs> the test of time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but I think the reality is, in a healthy manner, Sometimes deconstruction could be done well and, and should be done well. I think we should ask questions and have, have open spaces for questions to be answered and discussed. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd almost challenge our, our people to, to be the type of people that says, you know, let's ask the hard questions. Let's reevaluate why. We, what, are we, what, what are we standing on? What is objective truth? Yeah, we're always reforming. Lawrence has said this a bunch. It's one of the cries of the Reformation that gets like left behind because we don't want to always be reforming because we want to say like we're the final arbiter of truth and you know but we are we should always be saying god where is sin where is brokenness where we're in humility you will always have a spirit a, a posture where you're coming to the text you're coming to your community and saying god we just want to trust you with this but this is tough fleshing this thing out is tough so are we getting some things wrong are we missing some things are we not loving you well or loving others well so it doesn't have to be a full-fledged deconstruction blow the building up with dynamite and and start over it could be just unpacking and and checking out the foundation and seeing is the building solid yeah. or are there cracks right um i love uh jude the woman's uh bible study right now speaks directly to this in verse 22 it just simply says have mercy on those who doubt and goes on and says, save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy. So I think some people really might be on the verge of, of, of leaving their faith. Like that, it's kind of like, Lawrence, I think you talked about a sermon a few weeks ago. I'm about to walk up a cliff. Please pull me back. But I think a lot of us um, are just going through 
through doubt. And I think that that can lead to a deeper faith. Like it, like it can be a little scary, a little unsettling. I think that the church should be a safe place to be able to ask questions. And just as an encouragement, if you are doubting, it's okay. We're Waypoint is we want to be a safe place for you to come and ask questions. So come talk to us. We want to walk you through this. We don't want you to f- go at it alone. We want to help you walk alongside you as you're asking these these hard questions. Psalms is filled with the psalmist crying out to God, asking hard questions, asking questions, God, why is it this way? Why is it that way? It's okay to not be comfortable with the Canaanite conquest in Joshua. You know, that is Mm -hmm. a hard thing to handle theologically. Mm -hmm. It's okay to not be comfortable with lots, with the doctrine of hell. It's okay to not be comfortable with David having and Solomon having so many wives, you know, it's, it's okay to come to the text or come to your tradition or come to the way, you know, some of the, the blind spots that the tradition you grew up in, you know, and, and process them, but you don't have to throw out the beauty of Christ and the kingdom of God and, and all his goodness and all his objective truth. That's good in this process so we can we can do it together we can love each other through it so we're here for you and uh, the story of jesus friends when they drop him through the roof it says when he when jesus saw their faith like it's almost like his friends had to be part of the process so sometimes as christians i truly believe like we may not be able to muster up the faith but god brings we we can together in community we are working this thing out so please join with your friends let them know that you're struggling and ask the prayer that's prayed in jude or the prayer that's prayed at the last verse in in james that that they would help bring you back to the joy that you once knew and we, we want to be a part of that yeah and so as, as we're navigating these questions i think i think this is good because uh you know, on the one hand you don't we don't want our feelings to be the basis for how we determine whether or not scripture is true or not or you know it, it, i don't feel this doesn't make me feel very comfortable this doesn't make me feel very good and so therefore there must be something wrong with it uh i i think we should we should be cautious about that but i think also what we're saying is that uh having doubt and having questions is not symptomatic of your faith falling apart That's right. it, it could actually be uh signs of, of deepening faith and actually having a greater trust and greater dependence in because Christ. you're actually dealing with the real issues in the text yeah yeah and so um so it's not so doubts these these are things that people have had doubts all throughout i mean people even jesus's disciples saw the risen christ and had had doubts or had questions it it wasn't just um you know so so as as we're processing as we're asking these questions i think even knowing that like i find a lot of comfort in knowing that that the christian faith Jesus is teaching. This is historic. These are hist- this is something that's been navigated throughout the throughout the dec- like centuries, centuries of, of Christian believers have, have been navigating, and, and they've even been asking some of the same questions that we keep coming back to. Just with they, they don't have the cultural baggage that we do. They they have different cultural baggage. They don't. So so even hearing them kind of parse through some of these things or wrestle through it over the course of just human history, church history. I find I find that to be helpful and just trying to trying to navigate some of that stuff. And I think it's so key when you say that because that fits into how do we know what is objective truth in the Bible? What is truth that we need to stand on? How do we know what's what that truth is? You know, what's not cultural? What's how do we what are some of the tools 
that help us interpret the Bible well. And one of the things that I was going to actually ask uh, Pastor Danny to help explain is some, Wesley had something called a quadrilateral. Uh, um, Wesley's a quadrilateral. Um, my professor, John Frame, had something called triperspectivalism that we always stick on. And, and so he always liked the number three because he always thought it was holier than number four because of Trinity. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, but these are ways of how do we know? How do we interpret, you know? Mm-hmm. And some of these ways historically has been historical, the church tradition historically. You know, how has God's Holy Spirit taught his people to read the Bible in the past? Mm-hmm. You know, that's just one key element of trying to understand scripture and what is objective truth in there. Because we believe that we're not just reading the word of God. We're not just reading the Bible on our own. We believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit is also guiding the church and his people in interpreting the word of God. You know, and then we also believe that um, we're doing it inside a church community, a church of a fellowship, a body of believers, and we're interpreting it together. And then we also believe that God has put all of us that we have our mind, our thought, our faculties in how to interpret as well. So these are elements of interpreta- interpretation that we bring together as we try to interpret what is true and right in the Bible. And and God has raised up teachers. It's one of the spiritual gift, and there are. Tremendous teachers in each church. There are pastors who are teachers. There are men and women who teach Sunday schools and Bible studies who have the gift of teaching and teach the Bible. Actually, if you hear of the story of some of the well-known American uh, men who changed the world in the 1950s, Bill Bright, Billy Graham, and Carl Henry, uh, who founded Fuller Seminary and some others, they all were in a Sunday school class with Henrietta Mears, you know, like... She was this amazing Sunday school teacher. So at Beverly Hills Pest Presbyterian, I think, I, I may be getting the, the stories wrong, but she just taught the Bible every week. And these people sat in her class and learned and got excited about God. And now, obviously, Billy Graham already knew God before that. But when he came to town, he wanted to hear her teach. And I, th- I think I, I just bring that story up because there are common everyday folks like my grandmother who taught Sunday school every day of her life to children. Like, I mean, every, she taught it till she was about 75, 80 years old. She taught kids the, I think like the third and fourth grade Sunday school class. And, but then there are also people who are gifted in the languages and they go and get PhDs and they go to Israel and they go to the original sites and they see all the, you know, the archeological digs and they, they gather all this information and they give us the ability to interpret the scriptures well. So what what Lawrence was talking about, so yeah, so that's, so God has gift, given us teachers. He's given us people who have the gift of seeing the text as is and discerning it and bringing it so that we can, you know, hear it. So it doesn't just have to be you reading Revelation by yourself with no study notes, trying to read, figure out, you know, Amos or Ezekiel, no, we have uh, these teachers that God has raised up. Erica's pointed out. So what's the scoop? It's the head of Young Life, the guy who started Young Life, Jim Rayburn, Bill and Vonette Bright, who started Campus Crusade, Billy Graham, and the head of Fuller Seminary. Yeah. So God is going to use teachers. So here's the Wesley quadrilateral. Great, great Sunday school class. John Wesley says that he's a man of one book. And John Wesley's just one guy in history. He had blind spots. We can see them now in hindsight. But he was a man that God used to start a movement that we're that we benefit and are blessed from today even at Waypoint. And Wesley said scripture is prime. The scripture we see this but we see the scripture through he said tradition, 
reason, and experience, and with tradition being first. And we see the, and tradition is the church, the teachers of the church, and those who have gone before us fleshing this out. Any argument you have with any Christian about any topic, I promise you, the church has been fleshing this thing out for at least 1,800 years, 1,700 years, 1,600 years. You can go back and find all these different things fleshed out. And so when we come to the, it's not like we're the first ones to ever get this, have this dilemma. So God can, we can use their, you know, their blind spots and, and what they got right and, and how they learned to live in community. So there's the scripture, then there's tradition. And in that tradition is us also fleshing it out in our tradition, in the, the group of the local body that God's given us, then comes reason. Like, you know, you, God gave us a mind, and he gave us the ability to reason. And, and there is, you know, so we can use that mind. And then it's our experience. Like, I know how to love my neighbor in Durham, North Carolina, because I live in Durham, North Carolina. I live in this type of neighborhood. If I lived in a village in the jungles in Papua New Guinea, the experience would tell you how to share and how to love and how to live out your Christian faith differently. Uh, but one interesting thing about Wesley's quadrilateral, most of the uh, Christians who are studying, like really they have it flipped. And the average young person starts with the experience and reason and tradition and then maybe gets to scripture. That's how they're approaching Christianity because we're not teaching them the beauty of Scripture. We're not teaching them that the objective truth in Scripture is not objective truth just for truth's sake or for, mm. you know, it's, it's the beautiful thing of God. Like the Scriptures are God's gift to us, God's grace to us. So what we need to do as believers is, is get people excited about God's Word and get them into God's Word. That's why we're asking you guys to do the two-year Bible reading plan we know that you're not going to understand a lot of what you read, but that's okay because the first read through is just you beginning to hear God's word and process it. And then over time, as you run this marathon, that is the Christian, Christian life, the Christian race, you know, that God's called us to, you'll, you'll begin, God's will open up your heart and your mind more and more to see his truth and your experience will become more like the scriptures. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And so, so, uh, just tying, tying some of these ideas together, too, as we're navigating some of these different conversations about just having this, again, this framework for uh, theological triage. You have first-tier issues. You have things that are, that are essential. You have things that are uh, non-essential. You have things in between. <laughs> you know, we, we could create other categories, first-tier, second-tier, third-tier. Uh, but then you also have this this framework for how how do we approach the scriptures? How do we understand it? How do we interpret? How do we and how do we apply it to our lives? How do we, how do we actually flesh this out and living according to God's word and living abi abiding in God's word according like through this the Holy Spirit in us? Uh, but then then you have this idea of deconstruction again and people wrestling, people having doubts, people having questions, and and even as we mentioned uh, earlier, deconstruction being related to uh, you know you ha you have the, these core doctrines of, of the faith, but then you also have these these cultural underpinnings that are maybe mapped onto that, uh, and and some of those cultural teachings end up being elevated at times. I mean, you, you, Danny and Erica, you mentioned uh, it's kind of fascinating to think about just like what what's been uh, the number one bestseller list over the over the decades, and thinking about how different like even some of those books that you mentioned, I've never even heard of. You know, uh, those were, were important at that time. Um, 
but what happens when you discover that something you treated as core to your faith, maybe because that's what you're taught growing up, that's what you're raised with. What, what happens when something that actually, maybe that shouldn't have been core to your faith? What, what happens when something that is actually second tier, third tier is elevated in your life and, and you've been living and operating as though that's a first tier issue? And how do you process that? So it's like a Jenga. You know, for a lot of people, their foundation is built on these things that are what they feel like this is truth, this subjective truth. And so when you take out one of those core pieces of Jenga, you know, there's, there's side pieces that hold up the Jenga tower, right? You get really shaky. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so for a lot of people, it really shakes their foundations. And I, I, I totally understand that. It's unsettling. Yeah, I mean, it's you unsettling. feel like the, the, the whole thing is going to If that's not true, over. then what really is true? Yeah. You know? And so it, it definitely is unsettling. And so then you, what they do and hopefully do is the safety of their community. And the safety of their church contact with people who, who let them question. They start questioning them, what is truth? You know, there's a whole study of just what is knowledge? How do you know anything? Like epistemology. You know, and then so you dive into the study of how do I even know anything? And it, it's, it's, it's disconcerting. It's difficult. It's one of those philosophical exercises that sometimes makes your head hurt, you know? But when that happens, then hopefully and prayerfully on the answer is as the spirit speaks truth back, as the community speaks truth back into that person, their foundation is, no, is not built on a shaky ground anymore, but it's built on something more uh, rooted, uh, longer lasting, more settled. You know, And so that's, that's our prayer is that we come, let's talk about it. Let's find how do we know? How can we know? You know how do we, why do we choose to believe you know, in the midst of knowing that of all these other circumstances out there? Yeah, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Eric, but um, thinking of all the other people who have gone before you. So there's the people who have gone before you historically, the number of people who have you know given their lives for the sake of Christ. Um, you think of people far smarter than yourself who have like really devoted their lives to seeking this out. You think of then though the people have gone before you that you know, like maybe that, you know, the Sunday school teacher or a grandparent who like prayed for you and really believed it, you know, and you think of community. So if you're like in isolation, it's really easy to say, well, maybe I've just got everything wrong. You know, this does not seem to be working for me. But then if you're really saying, well, this doesn't work for anyone, like anyone that I've known and loved who cared for me and taught me like those whole people now, Looking back, there are probably some people who are, you know, hypocritical or whatever, but are you really ready to make that leap and say that every single one of those people, they all got it wrong? I mean, there's a chance, but it kind of takes another step as you're thinking through. And um, and like Lawrence was saying, that hopefully there there's people that you can trust that you can really kind of flesh some of this out. Another thing that's really helpful for me, so when I, so that helps me when I doubt. I think of that like, okay, like, that's a pretty big statement. And then, you know, if you were if you were to take that all the way to to atheism, C.S. Lewis talks about like he he when he became a Christian, he got a more liberal view than when he was an atheist. When he was an atheist, he said he had to believe that the majority of the people who have ever existed in every place were wrong about there being something a higher being. But when he became Christian, he was like, well, now I can say they were right about about a god, but now I've got to figure out exactly what that looks like. Um, but then another thing that helps me is if I start with the cross, like, and start with the resurrection. Do I believe that this is real? Do I believe these accounts are real? Do I believe my experience that I've had that I thought was real with Jesus? Then if I can say yes to that, then I can 
be on a more solid footing with those passages that are a little harder for me to accept or kind of wrestle through. Yeah, I think that's I think that's helpful too, and just just in the sense of like, you know, you go back to some of these other other times and cultures, and it's like, you know, initially Christianity, first century early church, that they, they were confronted by people thinking they, they people in their day had an issue with with monotheism because they were all polytheists. They didn't have an issue with with monotheism because they thought, oh, there's only one God. They thought like, well, you're you're too you're too exclusive, like. Like, how can there only be one? Like, there's multiple gods. So I can even accept your god as well as adding on these other ones, whereas in our day it, it does seem to tend toward uh, atheism and, and just... Uh, but but I think, like, so, so do you approach them and do you approach all of these other people over the course of human history and say with this kind of uh, almost like pride, snobbery, to say, well, we've advanced beyond that. Now, now we know better because we have more knowledge, we have more wisdom, we have more insight... And we can't even figure out how they, how the Egyptians did the whole pyramids, you know, like, but, but we're, we're willing to say, you know, we've got, we've got things figured out in a way. I mean, uh, I think the, just along that lines, I literally saw an, an article, I think it was New York times. The title was, uh, sociologists don't know if Instagram is good or bad for teen girls. Uh, Like literally like, like, yeah, yeah. Literally like they don't know. It could be bad. It could be. It could be good. We don't know. Like, like we have this thing in our society that's one of the most popular things, and literally, we don't know. Like, just like we are a people that need to flesh this out and figure. And yeah, yeah, we we can't figure out a pandemic. Sorry to cut you off, Eric, but I was I was thinking along those lines. Yeah, but but I think what what uh, Erica you're saying too is that. Um, you know, as, as people maybe are, are deconstruction or just asking, I, th- I think it's, I think it's worth asking, mm-hmm. you know, why, why in this tradition or in this context that I was in, why, why was I taught this mm-hmm. and what, what were, what were the good intentions that were trying to be, uh, promoted or, or propagated as, as I was in this space and, and kind of flesh it out. What, what are, are, what are some of the negatives now that we know? Okay. Like here's, here's some of the things that we, we overlooked or maybe, maybe we overemphasize this. Maybe, maybe there were good intentions. But there are a lot of negative outcomes, and so so we need to, to to I think we need to navigate some of those questions. But then I think I think asking what if I'm wrong is a very scary question. I think I think it's a scary question for for anybody. It's 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 uh, in some ways it's 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 honest, it's humble, but uh, it's also it feels like it feels a little unnerving. But I think going back to like what is the foundation of my faith? You know if if if. And, and you can have different entry points. I mean, I think like some people's entry point is, you know, origins and first things and creation. Other people, maybe their entry point is uh, the person of Jesus and who is Jesus and what has he done? Did, is the resurrection true? Is what Jesus, did, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is there, is there really a man who died and rose? You know, th- those, those are some of the, so why do I believe what I believe? It continues to be, a huge question that has huge implications for us that, that I think we need to know the answers to. We, we owe it to ourselves to know the answers to those questions. So I think what, what you're describing is even a, a reconstructing that, that I think needs to be part of the conversation where we say, okay, like there, there's so many reasons why. And I've even been thinking about this more recently of, you know, for, you know, Lawrence mentioned earlier archaeology. I think archaeological reasons. I think there, there's archaeology is, is helpful in understanding. I think there. I think there's historical reasons. I think there's uh, 
theological. I think you know there's there's many many things, many even uh, different disciplines outside of uh, the, the Bible that that root me and 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 lead me to the conclusion that no, this Jesus was real, and who who he says he was, his claims need to be taken seriously, and if he is if what he says is true, which I believe they are, then what does that mean for me now? And, and so I think that's, you know, I think those are important questions, even as you kind of maybe start to ask some of these questions of, okay, how do I parse through, like, what's cultural, what's actually a historic Christian faith? Um, then you can go back into some of these, okay, well, how would I flesh this out? And what, why do I submit myself to God's word in this way that I think is, is, is needed? Yeah, I've spent a lot of the last 20 years with uh, American agnostic atheists and international agnostic slash atheists. And as I begin to get to know them and unpack with them, most of them have created some kind of God or system in their head. Like no one doesn't have a system. Like they literally have their own. They're like, oh, I believe this and this. I believe all religions are true or I believe that it's just this and this is where the principle comes from so everybody creates a religion in their head i've not, i've yet to meet someone who's just like a blank slate so i always say to them so th- so now you're god you're the you're the arbitrator of all truth if we exist if dna is true if i'm humanity exists and we can think and talk and reason and god put us here or whatever this creator put us here we were created beings then wouldn't this creator want to give us some kind of guide? So then shouldn't we analyze all the guides out there, all the different myths and creation things? And and I, I challenged them to do that. I said, have you read through all the major religions and books and things? Really see, if, is that true? Because to get to the point where you, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's all false is just as hard as it is like kind of like c.s lewis alludes to that erica was talking about it's just as hard as to say that the creator must have left us with something and then you begin to look at the scripture and see how it was formatted and see that the scripture isn't about an angry god trying to destroy us but it's about a broken humanity which makes total sense because humanity is broken and a loving god who came to save and you see you can meet the person of jesus so I think starting with the scripture, the objective truth is Jesus and everyone, no matter what they tell you. I mean, I've met very few that haven't created some kind of their own scripture in their head where they're just pulling all these different ideas that they've heard throughout their life and they want it to be true. But if we can just come to them and say, no, here's the truth. Here's Jesus. I think God will just do. Yeah, just we'll begin to see the kingdom come on earth and and people's lives and hearts change. One of my um, favorite professors would always talk about kind of one of his apologetic methods was this idea that, you know, if you look at human beings, starting with us, and we see we have a longing for the eternal, a longing for intimacy, a longing for relationship, a longing to be connected and known, right? Taking that longing then to flesh it out to that as we desire to worship something, to be connected, we look at all the things that have been there out there and we realize out of all these religions, out of all these things that we've been searching for, which religion, which holy book expresses itself as a way to know, a way to be intimate and a way to connect? And as we evaluate that, we see in, in the Holy Scripture, not just a God that is known and revealing himself through his word, but who ultimately revealed himself through his son to ultimately have even greater relationship and intimacy with us. 
And so the human longing of wanting to be known and wanting to be loved and connecting to that something is so fulfilled in, in the Christian God that we know and worship and is fulfilled in Jesus that it, this is something that we could actually use as a foundational idea of what is objective truth. Well, let's use it. You know, I, I love that methodology that he used in kind of yeah. creating that. Yeah, I love all of this. Like in how you were saying, Eric, there's different entry points, like with different personalities. I think for some people, yeah, it does take a long time of like, you know, maybe they need to like, study you know the other major religions and kind of hold it up against for some it might be yeah trying to explain this longing like if you really think like it's that's really the theme of all our all our books and stories and songs is this longing how (laughs) how could we think this up on our own without something like yeah implanted in us but that um yeah that this desire for for more um, another thing to kind of slightly different but related, but when you were asked earlier, how do you, you know, when you have these second tier issues that have become primary and you kind of have a bad taste in your mouth because of those, I think one good thing to do is if you are at the point where you're willing to say, I'm going to approach the Bible um, respectively, I'm going to approach it with an open mind that that I want to know what God says. Um, kind of the quote we say from Tim Keller a lot, like if the God that you read about, if you don't d- disagree with them at some point, is that a God you've created or not? But if you come with an open mind, maybe you could take one of these um, issues. Maybe it's um, modesty and purity culture. And you feel like I'm just really, I look back and I think I was told things that were wrong and I felt shame I shouldn't have felt. Um, and it had a negative effect, and I just don't want anything to do with this. Well, then maybe you could find a trusted person to talk with, and on your own you could look, well, what does the Bible say about modesty? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and come in and kind of add. And I think with a lot of these things, sometimes you'll, you might be surprised. Whoa, it says something different, doesn't say as much. You know, try to, like, use the word Dana was saying, unpack some of those things, you know. Yeah, the the modesty. What is like? What should dress? You know, bathing suits. Like that was. I was a youth pastor <laughs> back in the day, and we probably spent more time talking about the bathing suit issue than the actual retreat that had a two-hour swim time. You know, what I'm saying like just because we were trying. And we, it, just it, it, we just didn't go to pools. Yeah, it was it was out of a heart to want to honor God. So the heart was to honor God. Yes, were there some blind spots? Yes, did they add some extra stuff? Yes, was there probably we would look at things differently now. But does that mean that we kind of throw it all out and throw out everything that the Bible says about those issues? No, but I, I, I think on these tiers... I think another one that's... And, and, and on the yeah, flip side, yeah. you know, trying on the one on the one hand, you can you can go to that point of saying, okay, we're like we're trying to honor God, but then on the other hand, we also do need to address, yeah, what what damage did this cause? How, what hurts did this cause? And and yeah, uh, and, we need to take that seriously. And, and, and to be honest, should girls only wear one pieces, two pieces, or whatever? A church would either say that's a two a tier two issue or a tier three issue. And but once you or a non-issue, but once you elevate that, but there were people who elevated that to it's up to the mother. There are people who elevated that to a tier one issue. And then the girls felt hurt and the parents felt hurt and it created, you know, and 
it, 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 I'm just using that as an example because it was, it's real life to me as, as a youth pastor, you know, just trying to like hear everybody out, listen to different parents, yeah. complain, listen to, you know, and at the end, the goal of youth group was to glorify God and to help the kids connect and, mm-hmm. and, and know Christ. And I, I get why people begin to make this third tier issue almost a, a first tier issue, but at the same time, we, we, we wasted a lot of time on that. I, I, and, and I think a, a different one that people really, I mean, when I was growing up, there were people who thought that the literal six day creation is a tier one issue. Like if you don't believe that, like you're a heretic, you're right. out. And I was like, historically the church, even the, the church hasn't believed that. They believe that the days could be long periods of time, that, you know, there's a lot of interpretation on Genesis one through 11. And for some churches, those are tier three, for some they're tier two, but they should never be tier one. They're not essential to the faith, the different interpretations and major theologians in history have disagreed on this. Even the fundamentalists themselves from the 1920s, they thought the earth was really old. The guys who we call, you know, kind of created other forms of fundamentalism, they thought the earth was old. They just didn't believe in all, you know, they just had a different interpretation of Genesis 1 through 11. So, so that's where I want people to realize that these tier two issues, once we make them tier one issues, we could be doing damage. So we're trying at Waypoint not to do that, but we probably are, and we're gonna have blind spots. And in 30 years, we're gonna notice them, but we're, we're trying to like live it out and hear you guys out and not make that happen. You know, but. what's an interesting thing that I've kind of noticed that we're making into tier one, not we as, let's say Waypoint, but, but we as Waypoint, but people in general nowadays, is the idea of not hurting people, not offending people has become a tier one issue. Does that make sense? Ouch, you're right. You know, like we've t- turned that into tier one. Can't say anything offensive. Can't say anything that'll hurt anybody. And you and, can find one or two times where Jesus or some other passage that might mm-hmm. help yeah. Well, it's a, it's a new kind of puritanical approach too. Exactly. That, that has no that has no like actual ability to achieve this holiness. That's right. It's so interesting though that that's how that's turned into almost a tier one issue. That non offensiveness, not hurtingness, has become a tier one issue. I just kind of want to just thought about that for a second. Yeah. Well, that that's a whole Other different topic. level of things that we don't have time to unpack. So so just to to, to kind of land the plane here, I want to end with this. To, and, and kind of in on a high note here, uh, maybe you can provide one or, or two examples, but w- what are some things that have strengthened your faith and produced greater confidence in the presence of work of God in your life? I think I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I think hearing the stories of other people. I think like just spending time with people, asking them like, um, you know, how did you become a Christian or how did you grow in your faith or um, oh, you were in a Christian family. Tell me that. What did that look like? Did was that you know? Are reading books of other, from other Christians, hearing from other people, really, really strengthens my faith. Um, and I think just yeah, daily time with the Lord. Yeah. I think for me, just realizing that the Bible wasn't like a moral code or a constitution or a list or or a you know. It, it was the living and active word of God that penetrates communities, penetrates hearts, and that God really was more about my heart and the attitude of my heart than the than like the rule. Like, yeah, we follow the rule, but we follow the rule because the attitude of our heart. And I and I think as I begin to see the scripture not as a textbook, 
not just as the living and active word of God and begin to, to see how it it's 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 stood the test of time it's lasted throughout history throughout wars I and mean, people have tried to crush it and get rid of it and every time i go to a new culture and share it with someone it can just penetrate their hearts and their culture they can read matthew mark luke and john and just be refreshed and renewed and restored and the insights or the things that they notice are normally never the things that i highlight ever like almost every time i've brought it to someone from a different culture it's it's like fresh to them they're so excited about jesus and the things and the rules and the parts that i was like oh you can't do this or why do, why did you notice that they didn't even notice that and and that's the book that we have so for me just knowing that this thing isn't bound by me or my interpretation it's it's the word of god that's going out and god is using his church even with our flaws and it, it's going to happen his truth will be proclaimed and we get to be a part of that i think I think that's what gets me excited, and that's why I want to keep teaching this book and keep growing and keep noticing my blind spots and and keep you know reforming and, and renewing and getting new insight every day from this this awesome word of God that He's given us. I think it's it's the body, the church, and the community that God's blessed um, me to be. That's always shaped me and produced fruit in me and strengthened my faith. You know, when I'm down, when I'm doubting, when I'm questioning, when I'm hurting, um, God's provided His Spirit, His body. You know, and His Spirit, His body have strengthened me, encouraged me all along the way. We can dive into Scripture together, uh, encouragement when needed, accountability when needed. That's what really kind of produced greater confidence in that, like, it's like, it, to me, it's almost like Revelation 7 when you see Jesus walking among the lampstands. When I see His body walking, my faith is restored and strengthened. You know, so it's really the body. Um, there's a song we sang at Waypoint, I think it was two weeks ago. It goes, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And for some reason that song, I just wanted to bust out. Guys, you're, you're welcome that I didn't. I was so <laughs> close to busting out and singing that right now. But that's what I want to sing and proclaim right now. That's almost how I want to close this. I'm like, that song has is, is just been, been, that question made me think of that. Let's play it at the end. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really good, and I think I think all of those things. I mean, the combination of those things have, have just continue to be encouraging. I think the the church. I mean, even even being in community with with you guys and, and our staff, and just the way that we um, just continue to, to have this safe space to to talk and ask these questions, and just think about the things that are going on, the things that we see and are coming our way, but always being rooted back in the things unseen and the things eternal, and and being encouraged to walk in that. I think. Um, I, I just continue to be amazed at how complex and beautiful God's word is. I was listening to a podcast the other day where these guys were just, just kind of offhand. They started talking about, like, if you go back into the, the David Goliath story and uh, you just look at all the times the word bronze is mentioned. And, and there's, they're talking about how, like, in, in the Hebrew, uh, bronze, the word bronze has the same root as, as snake or serpent. And then they're talking about how like Goliath, Goliath's armor is like bronze and it, it's like scaly. And so you have like this, all this snake language. And then David, who's kind of, he's like this, you know, Jesus is this Davidic, this messianic figure. David's this anointed one who, uh, who cuts off da uh, Goliath's head. And you're just like, what? Like, I've never, like, 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 like all the, all the beauty and complexity, like all these themes that are being woven throughout this, this biblical storyline. I'm just like, 
wow, like God, God has used human authors to write such a, a beautifully complex and amazing story that, that he's inviting me into. And I, and I see it even today. And just that, so, so those kinds of things, I'm just like, wow, like God is amazing. And that, that gives me confidence and encouragement. Can I end with this? This is the end of Jude. Be merciful, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clo- clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious present without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. 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 What a good word and what a good word to end on. I think uh, we, Waypoint, we, we hope that these conversations have been helpful to you. There, there's so much more to say. I mean, we, be careful. Lawrence doesn't say anything else that might open up a whole nother can of worms, but uh, we're just so thankful to, to be in community together and just want to be able to, to navigate these questions, to ask the hard questions. And so uh, we, we commend again to, to find safe people to be able to, to ask these questions with and, and to press in and, and to know what is, what is our foundation and how can we continue to seek the Lord, to, to trust in Jesus and, and all of his finished work and, and to live in light of that reality, that we can reconstruct our faith and, and, and even be strengthened in our faith to have faith to have confidence in what God has done. So uh, we hope these conversations are helpful. We hope you have a great week. Have a great week. Have a great week. Bye. Take care.